as you guys uh, as you guys know, we've been hanging out looking at um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and who can just quickly remind us of a few things that we've talked about leading up to this point? A few of these practices we've talked about that help us become more like Jesus. What? Okay, giving. So financial stewardship. <coughs> what else? Time. Fasting. Sabbath. Prayer. Prayer. Come on, you guys are getting more excited. Reading the word. Okay, and so today we talk about um, one of those outward disciplines. This is one of those. Uh, we've talked a lot about some of these inward disciplines, uh, fasting and prayer, the way we think about money. Um, that can kind of be both. But today is a completely outward-focused discipline, and this is talking about the discipline of serving, right? Um, and, and what I want you to do is, um, well, before we get there, let's do this. Um, every week we've been following up from our uh, discussion last week. Um, we've been taking a minute just to talk about, uh, have you had any thoughts this week? Has anything um, changed for you this week uh, in the discipline we talked about last week, in the practice we talked about last week? So last week we talked about stewardship of money, how we spend our money, and how our money can ultimately be a picture of where our hearts are at. Um, and so did you learn anything this week? Did you, did you think about your finances this week? Did you go and create a budget this week? Did you think about maybe the areas or the places that God would want you to spend your money, how that could be a blessing uh, toward his kingdom? And did you learn anything during that period of time? So let's take uh, about a minute, okay? Uh, it should be really easy to get into groups this morning because you can literally just kind of turn uh, shoulder, shoulder to shoulder uh, with a few people around you and, and talk about that real quick. And then we'll come back uh, and start talking about serving. So as we get as we get started today talking about serving, okay? Um, when you guys hear that word serving, um, what are some things that come? What are some things that come to mind when you hear serving? Helping, helping, okay? Helping. Yeah. Waiter slash wait staff slash whatever, okay? Time. Time. Think about time. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Oh, okay. good words here okay good um and so what i want us to do today is um i want us to to think about a lot of these serving um concepts a lot of these ideas that come to mind when we think about serving how we serve others um yes we i think what we do a lot of times is we identify or we think about serving um as in what i'm doing the project in which i'm doing today i want us to shift the light a little bit and to look at the heart behind why we serve, the heartbeat of service, right? And really, this is the practice. This is the spiritual discipline of serving. And it really has to do more with where our heart's at than actually the things that we do. Because <clears throat> I believe that when our hearts are in the right place, the things that we do become less and less uh, significant, right? So as God brings opportunities to our lives to serve people, we find ways it's more about what's my heart response in that moment versus what particular area, what, what particular thing I may be doing. 
I want us to start with a, um, looking at a quote here from, uh, again, from Richard Foster, um, wrote a book called Celebration of the Disciplines, a really kind of like the, the go-to uh, textbook, if you will, for spiritual disciplines. And in his discussion of the discipline of serving, he says this. He said, service is not a list of things that we do. Let's just stop right there and think about that. Because for a lot of us, even for myself, when I think of the word serving, I think of, okay, what am I going to do? Right? Okay, I can go out and I can wash somebody's car. I can go out and I can, you know, help somebody build something or make something. Right? But the discipline of service, service is not about the things that we do. Though uh, in it, we, I should have used a darker font, a bolder font. Though in it, we discover things to do. Right? It's not a code of ethics, but a way of living. To do specific acts of service is not the same as living in the discipline of service. And that's so fundamentally key, right? The, the, the discipline of service is, again, what does my heart say when there's an opportunity to serve? Or to put it another way, serving is a way of living, not just things you do, right? That's kind of going to be our big takeaway point today as we think about this is serving is a way of living it's a way it's a lifestyle again the series we're in is called the way of jesus right it's not just about the things that we do for jesus the things that we do in the name of jesus even though we do all of those right truly to be a follower of jesus is about following the way of jesus it's a lifestyle that you adopt and you start to follow his way and so it is with the practice of serving is that it's a way of living, not just things that we do. Because here's what happens. Uh, when, we just, when we just narrow it down to a list of things that we do, it's really easy for us to say yes or no, um, to We can be counting in and out of things that we should or shouldn't do. But when it's a heartbeat, right, when, when, when we get just turned, when, when our hearts and our, our minds just get turned to the on position on service, no matter what God sends your way, you see as an opportunity to serve. Whatever God sends your way, you see as an opportunity to love on people that he created and that are made in his image. As soon as we begin, I want to tell you guys a story uh, from history. I believe this is a true story. Um, but as you know, all pastoral illustrations, there may be, there may be a little bit of fabrication. I don't know. Um, but I believe that this is the true story. Um, and it happened during the American uh, Revolution. Uh, history tells us that there was a man who was dressed in civilian clothes, and he rode past a group of soldiers who was repairing a small defensive barrier. And as he rode past this, them, he noticed that there was a, the leader of this group was shouting instructions at them, trying to make them fix this barrier, but yet he was not attempting to help in the least amount. And as the rider came by, he asked him, he said, he said why, why are you not helping your men do this? And the leader said, Sir, I am a corporal. The stranger apologized. He dismounted from his horse and he proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. When the job was finished, he turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come and help you again. You see, that man was none other than George Washington. Right? Think about the picture of the things that God calls us to do. Think about the, the times that God has called us to serve. And I think sometimes we can think, you know what, I'm, a, I'm above that. Like, like, that's somebody else's job, right? Like, I, I, don't, like I want to do big things for Jesus. I want to do important things for Jesus. Jesus is going to call me to do these big, these big platforms and these big things. 
But the truth of the matter is that Jesus may be calling each one of us, and does call each one of us, to do some very um, menial, and sometimes in our perspective, unimportant things, as a way of serving and being who he's called us to be. Um, And the great thing is, though, here's the thing. The great thing, as we've seen every week, is that Jesus comes and sets the, the perfect example for us. And so I know that sometimes this is an area that we struggle. Right? This is an area I struggle, right? <clears throat> some of the things, some of the areas that God may be calling us to serve in can seem uh, like we don't, have, we don't have time for it, that it's a sacrifice, you know? Uh, we may not see the value that, that God has. We may not see the help it may be for somebody else. We may just be kind of looking at that and say, you know what, I don't have time for this. This is going to cost something that I'm not willing to give. But yet we look at the example of Jesus and how he chose to serve. And that really sets the trajectory for us. And so this morning we're going to be in John chapter 13. And we're going to kind of, uh, it's a familiar story. I think most of us have probably heard this story. Even, even as a kid, this is, this is one of those they, that uh, gets in most of the, most of the kid Bibles. Um, this is the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Uh, probably a very, very familiar passage. And so instead of reading it all at one time this morning, I want us to kind of track through as we look at this idea of serving, as we look at this idea of what it means to serve. So before we get to reading the text uh, and into the applications of that, let's, let's just pray one more time. So Father, thank you for, again, another opportunity to be here. Um, Father, I, I just uh, echo the words of, uh, Sam this morning, of Tom this morning, as they both just thank you for the opportunity to, to meet together as your church body. It's uh, an opportunity just to meet and to be together, God. I pray that from our time together, as our study in your word, God, I just pray that you would be glorified, that you would receive the worship from our time. Father, may we walk away changed, um, God, as we invest our hearts and our lives into the reading and the studying of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing I want us to notice about serving, as, we, as we're going to see from John 13, is that serving is a choice. Serving, it's choice. We make the choice whether to serve or not to serve. Look, uh, if you have your Bible with you, uh, or you can read along up here, John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, to do uh, the fa- to do out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put uh, already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, okay, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from the Father and was going back to the Father, okay, let's stop right there. Um, what you'll notice in this passage, right? says that in, in verse 1 that Jesus knew that his hour had come, right? I mean, think about that for a second, right? I mean, if, if you knew that today was your last day, right? If you knew that this was your last few hours left on earth, what would you do? Think about it for a second, right? What would you do? For many of us, we would probably try to go and do those bucket list things that we didn't have to, you know? For some of us, we would just take off on these extreme adventures that we've been too scared to do the rest of our life. For, some, for most of us, we would probably gather friends and family around us and just spend time with the people that mean the most to us. 
for many of us, we would do things that centered around us and a feeling of satisfaction for ourselves, right? But think about this. This was his last meal, his last night, and his last opportunity to teach his disciples. And what did Jesus choose to do? He chose to serve. He chose to serve. I mean, think about what else Jesus could have done with his time, right? He could have went out and he could have shared the gospel to a large group of people. He could have went out and found a group of people gathered around. He could have, he could have done more miracles that would have brought huge crowds of people around him. And he could have shared the gospel. He could have showed them who he was. Again, he could have given sermon, another sermon message to thousands of people. He could have foretold his death and resurrection to a large group of people so that when it happened, that more people would believe in him. But what did Jesus choose to do with his last time on earth? He chose to serve, and then we see he goes out from there and he chooses to pray, right? And I think what we see in this moment, these last few hours of Jesus' life, um, we see an incredible value on what Jesus knew it looked like to be a follower, uh, what he knew that he wanted to set as an example. He's going to say that later on in this passage. He wanted to set an example for his disciples for how they should live. And so I think as we, as we lean into, into understanding serving this morning, as we, as we look at this idea of serving and this example that Jesus set, we need to take note, right? We need to take note because this was significant to Jesus. This was significant. And we realize that it was a choice. Jesus made the choice in this moment, to serve people instead of creating some other platform for himself, right? Secondly, we'll see that not only do we do that, but, but serving at its heart, the reason that we serve, one of the reasons that we serve is that when we serve, it destroys pride, right? When I can go out of my way and do something for somebody else, it kills my source of pride, okay? Um, one, of the things, one of the things that I love about the Gospels, about the fact that we have four, it's called, uh, and three of them, they're called the Synoptic Gospels. We have uh, accounts of the Gospel that, that are given from, from different perspectives, with four different perspectives on the Gospels. And one of the things I love about that is that we get different elements of the life of Jesus. Um, as you can imagine, as these disciples were following around Jesus, uh, certain ones connected or remembered things that he said and did in a way, and others remembered other things that he said and did. And so when you read through the Gospels together, you get this beautiful, full picture of the life of Jesus. And so one of the details that we don't pick up in John's account, but Luke picks up when he writes his account, is this. Listen, this is in Luke 22, uh, verse 24. Uh, this is right before Jesus comes and washes his disciples' feet. He said, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. You see, the context for Jesus washing his disciples' feet was that he came into this moment and his, and his disciples, right? As Jesus knew that his hour had come, as Jesus knew that he was about to, to walk to the cross and give up his life for humanity, his disciples were arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest? And so in this context, Jesus doesn't just tell them, it doesn't matter who's the greatest, right? Jesus had already told them that other times in, in, throughout the gospel ministry. He had already confronted them in this way. And so now Jesus was going to show them by serving them <coughs> the value of service. Because again, serving destroys pride. And I think there's two reasons that Jesus chose to do this activity on this last night with his disciples. One of those was because of dirty feet. 
and the other of those was because of proud hearts, right? Um, as, as, as we know in the culture that, uh, that Jesus lived in, in first century Jerusalem, and in that culture, right, uh, in order to get somewhere, you had to walk. And, and the footwear of the day, right, because they were kind of in a, in, a, in a very dry, arid place, right, the footwear of the day uh, was, was sandals. Most of them wore sandals, right? So you think about walking all day to go somewhere, and you think about as dust is flying up, right? Think about how your feet are going to look like at the end of the day. Right? I know for me personally, sometimes at the end of the day, I'll pull my shoes and socks off, right? And if I wear my, my black socks, right? You guys ever done that? You pull your socks off and like your foot looks all nasty and gross, right? Think about how gross these guys' feet were. And so there was a position, right? There was a position of service that only the lowliest of people would fulfill, the lowest servant would come and wash people's feet. That was a service that they would do for people at that time. And so when you, when you go to someone's house, when you enter into somebody's house, right, you would stop at the door. And a lot of times for us today, we'll still take sh- our shoes off in people's houses, right? It's kind of a sign of respect. Well, they would take their sandals off, and then they would have someone there to wash their feet. And so Jesus, right, washes his disciples' feet. One, because he knew that there was a need. There was a need for that to happen. But deeper than that, Jesus also knew the pridefulness that was in the hearts of his disciples. And so Jesus comes and he, and he addresses that. Richard Foster says it this way. He says, whenever there is trouble over who is the greatest, there is trouble over who is the least. He said, but for most of us, we know we will never be the greatest. We just don't want to be the least. Think about that for a minute. Think about your life, right? And I, and I know just about everybody in this room and your story and your personality and all of that. Probably, there's probably not anybody in this room that would say, you know what? I actually want to be the greatest human ever, right? There's probably none of us that say, I even want to run for the, what we would say is the highest office in the country, right? No one would be like, who wants to be president one day? Uh, okay, well, we got one. Um, there you go. I will vote for you, Andrew. Um, 20, 2030. Okay, that will... Look, for most of us, we don't... Most of us, we probably wouldn't say, you know what, I want to be the greatest, most important person to ever live on this earth, right? But in the same time, most of us would say, you know what, I don't want to be the least important person to ever live either. I don't want to be the lowliest, the most forgotten, the most unimportant person to ever live as well, right? It's kind of like playing sports in school for a lot of us, right? We we didn't have to be the top. We didn't have to be even, even varsity team. We just didn't want to be the last guy picked. Right? We didn't want to be the last one standing there when they were like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess I'll take Russin again. Um, you know? Um, and then put you out in left field. That was my, that was my T-ball experience. Um, you know, you're, you're really good when, in T-ball. They put you out, like, in left field. Because uh, nobody in T-ball crushes it out to the left field. Um, right? So, but we don't, a lot of us don't want to be the greatest, but we certainly don't want to be the least. Right? And in a culture... Right, where it's all about trying to get your way to the top. I mean, think about our world and the way it operates, right? We have this phrase in our culture called a pecking order. You guys heard that before, right, when you think about it? Um, well, that idea comes literally, it's a, it, it really comes from the idea of a farm. And if you've ever seen a group of chickens put together in a chicken pen, right, you realize that there is no peace until there's an establishment of who's the greatest and who's the least, right? You ever put a group of chickens together, Right? Or so I'm told. I'm, I'm actually not a farmer. Uh, surprise to a lot of my mom's just like laughing. Um, right? But you put a group of chickens together, right? And what's going to happen? There's going to be feathers flying until there's been an establishment of who is the greatest and who is the least. And I think that same pecking order is, is the mentality we have in our culture and our lives. 
as we think about people, as we think about the way we engage with people around us, our mindset is, how can I get my way to the top? How can I get up to the top? I mean, think about this for a second. We see this in our lives, right? When we think about where do I sit, I want to sit at that most prestigious seat, that best place, right? I'm, I'm thinking about my seat, my specific place I want to sit. Or we think about how we walk in relation to others. I always got to be one step ahead of somebody else. Or we think about how we talk with people, right? And do I always have to have the last word? Do I always have to talk over somebody else? We think about where do we stand and we think about how we live our lives, how do we posture ourselves in relation to other people. And we soon realize that even for most of us that never have aspirations of being the greatest person, we certainly don't want to be the least. And see, the most incredible thing happens is that Jesus comes in and he revolutionizes the way that we value people. It's one of the things I love about reading the Gospels. And you look at the way, if you just look at the way that Jesus loves people and interacts with people, right? He revolutionizes the way that we value people. Now, for most of us, we realize Jesus grew up in first century Jerusalem, right? And who was the dominant controlling uh, group? Who was the dominant country in that empire in that time? Rome, right? And the Roman culture was a slave culture. It was based, in fact, they say that there were more slaves in Rome, in the Roman culture, than there were even free people because they, they relied so much on the slave force, indentured servants and slave uh, force, in order to accomplish everything they needed to do. And so most people, uh, a lot of the majority of people who actually were, were slaves, were servants in that culture. And Jesus comes onto the landscape of this culture and he looks around and he completely changes the way that the culture looked at the identity and the value of people. See, the culture said that people are only as good as I can use them for. People are expendable. As long as people are doing something for me, then that's fine, then they're good. But when they're no longer of service to me, then I can just kind of dispose of them and not think about them. And that was the culture that walked, that Jesus comes into, right? But we look at how Jesus lived his life and what he did and what he said, and it revolutionizes the way that we think about uh, people and how they're valued. I mean, first, look at, look at some of the teachings that Jesus gave, right? You think about the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And in this story, we have the Samaritan group, which is the, the hated group by the Jews. They're considered half-breeds. They're considered not as important, not, as, not, not true Jews, right? And in Jesus' story, right, as, as he defines what a neighbor is, uh, in this story, Jesus sets up the Samaritan as being the hero of the story, right? That was scandalous in this time when Jesus did that. But Jesus is, is pointing to the bigger picture that um, it's, a, it's, it's, more impo- it's a bigger picture for us to realize that people are more, more than just the socioeconomic or even the family that they grew up in. There's a story of the lost things, and Jesus tells three parables of lost things, and it changes the way that we view God. In these stories, God, God, God is, is in, this, in this role of going and seeking after humanity and rescuing humanity. We see the value that Jesus puts on people. The Sermon on the Mount, we think about when Jesus says things like, love your enemies, right? The value that Jesus puts on people. And then last week we talked about uh, the widow who put in the two coins, and when Jesus looks at her sacrifice, he says that she did greater than anyone else. Right? In that culture, these, a, a widow was considered to be the lowest of totem pole. And Jesus comes in and sets her up 
um, and values her greatly. But not only that, right? Not only does, does he value that, but then he also, also by the way that he lives, also by the way that he lives, look at his interactions, right? There's the, there's the story of the Samaritan woman, right? There's the story of the Samaritan woman where Jesus, right? Not only was she a Samaritan, but she was a, was a woman in that culture. Uh, it was not acceptable for them to have this interaction. But not only does Jesus interact with her, right? But he asks her to go and to dip him some water out from the well. And he drinks it, right? He values her in a way that no one else. I mean, think about the sick people that Jesus healed, right? In that culture, in Jesus, in the first century culture, in the Jewish culture, right? You didn't touch a person who had a disease because that then made you unclean. And Jesus gets down in the muck and the mire of humanity and lifts them up. There's example after example of people that culture said are not to be valued. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, they're great value to me. And he loves them, loves them. And I think what we realize is that sometimes our actions speak louder than our words, especially when it comes to service, right? Our actions speak louder than our words. Jesus, uh, I mean, Richard Foster said this uh, in, in that book, Celebration of the Disciplines. He says, when Jesus took a towel and a basin, he redefined greatness. That's so significant, right? With a towel and a basin, Jesus redefined what it means to be great for eternity, no longer do I look at greatness by my position or my status, but it's about service. And that's what we see that Jesus does. And when we start to serve people, we start to see that pride is destroyed. Pride is destroyed. And why is that? It's because ultimately service produces humility. Service produces humility in our lives. Um, literally the word in the Greek for humility, for, for, for being humble, it just means to stoop low. It carries with it the idea of serving another person, of serving another person. And so there's, there's, there's a few things I want us to look at in this idea of humility, and we're going to see this in Jesus' example, right? To truly be humble, what does that look like? What does that mean for us to truly be humble? First is to realize that humility, true humility, is unannounced. It's unannounced, right? True humility doesn't go and brag about what it's doing. True humility doesn't go and let everybody else know how humble it truly is, right? That really kind of actually defeats the purpose. Look at what Jesus does, uh, John 13, verses 4 and 5. Right? So they were having this argument. Jesus knew that his time had come. And what does he do? It says that Jesus rose from supper. He had laid aside his outer garment. Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that he wrapped around himself. Jesus didn't get up and say, you know what, now disciples, I'm going to show you. Look, this is how you serve people. This is how you're humble, right? That's not what service is about. Jesus just got up and did it. He didn't make a big fuss about it. He didn't draw attention to it. He just started serving people, right? He just started serving people. And sometimes, especially for those of us that have been following Jesus for a little while in our life, for a season in our life, sometimes this idea of serving, being humble, and not announcing that becomes a real challenge in our life, right? Because a lot of times, here's what happens. Like, we go and we serve people, we find opportunities, right? But then we somehow still want that validation that we did what we should be doing. Or we want other people to recognize the service that we gave. And so what do we do? We, 
there's a phrase for it. It's called humble brag, right? There's this idea that we, we in, in a very humble way, will talk about the great things that we did. These great things that we did. And that really defeats the whole purpose of humility. Again, I feel like uh, I should say that this message is, is sponsored by Richard Foster. I know I've quoted a lot. Um, he just has so many great things to say in this, in this area. But he says this. Um, maybe this might be the last one. He says, Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. Nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. But listen to this last part. <clears throat> he says, the flesh, right, our, 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 our kind of selfish side, we can say another way, our selfishness, it whines against service. So, like, a lot of times that, that, that side of us that says it's all about you, like, it whines when we serve other people, right? But he says it screams against hidden service, right? When you can go and you can serve somebody else and tell not another living soul about it, and you just do it for the glory of God and to be a blessing to that person, Right? That pride and that selfishness inside of us, it just screams against that, right? It just wants to get out. It just wants us to go and tell people about what we did. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. As he begins the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew 6, uh, as he talks about uh, some of these practices that we've been talking about. In verse, in verse 1, he says this. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus warns us, right? If you're going to serve, and you're going to serve for the purpose of glorifying God, don't get your glory, right? Don't, don't, re don't receive your reward from other people. And so it is, if we truly want to become humble people, if we truly want to allow serving to produce humility in our lives, first and foremost, it must be unannounced. We don't draw attention to it. Now, there may be times and reasons and seasons that we have to share that with somebody else. Uh, or if we're going to, like, get someone to help us uh, serve somebody and there's an opportunity. I'm not talking about, like, you can never tell anybody, right? But as we think about our heart behind why we serve, right, do we, do, we, do we care more about other people seeing that we serve or do we care more about that our Heavenly Father sees the way that we're serving? Number two is that humility, right, this humility, uh, it also must receive service itself must also be the recipient of service. If we truly want to be humble people, we also have to be willing to receive that same service. And for some of us in this room as well, this is the true hard part of humility. I'm all about serving somebody else. And I will go and I will give everything I have away and I will go and serve all day long. But when I have a need in my life, am I willing to allow someone within the body of Christ to come and serve me? Am I willing to humble myself and say, I don't have it all together? And then I'm allowing someone to come in and to serve. For, for me personally, this is the hardest part of humility, right? This is really hard for me to say, to reach out and say, hey, there's something I'm not great at that I'm not capable of doing. I need help. Um, I wasn't going to, I just now thought of this example, so I'm going to throw it in there. Um, but I think my, my friendship with Sam has been one of these moments in my life. The more that I've seen God has gifted Sam in areas that he certainly has not gifted me in, the more opportunities that I've had to humble myself to say, hey, man, you want to come over and help me do something so that I don't have to do it six times because I break it and then fix it and break it and fix it? Like, you can come over and help me do it, and we can do it one time and be done, right? There's a lot of humility that has to happen in those moments. 
right? Because everything inside of us, everything in our culture says, you know what, you have everything you need to do. You're good enough yourself. You don't need help from anybody else. You should be the one helping other people. In, in, in this story, in, in uh, John 13, we see this is, this is Peter's heart, right? This is Peter's heart in, in the whole matter. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 6. And then he came to Simon Peter. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. Who said to him, Lord, you do not wash my feet. Right? You don't wash my feet. You possibly can't wash my feet. Right? And I don't know if it was complete pride in this moment or just understanding the position of who Jesus was, but, but Peter certainly was not accepting this service off the bat. Right? We see that Jesus comes in and he responds to Peter um, and he says, um, he tells him, look, you're not going to understand what I'm doing right now, but you will afterwards. And then Peter said, then Peter again in verse 8 says, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus comes in and kind of closes the case, and we'll, we'll talk to that about that in a minute, right? And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no share in me, right? And this, this tendency, right, I just picture in this moment, right, that Jesus is getting down before Peter, and Peter starts to pull his feet away. And he's like, Jesus, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet, right? And there may have been a lot of reasons that Peter had in that moment, but he was not willing to let Jesus wash his feet. And I think in our, in our hearts, we have to ask, is there, a, is there a false humility within us that doesn't also allow us to receive service, to allow us to uh, allow other people into our lives, to show our needs that we have, and allow people to serve us in the same way that we're called to serve? Third, we need to realize, and we've talked about this before, so I won't belabor it, but humility is not weakness. Humility is not weakness. Our culture tells us that it is, right? We talked about a uh, position up here, a waiter or a waitress, right? A modern day kind of, a lot of times we'll call them a server, right? That's, that's their position as they serve us. And our, and, our, and our culture looks at that position and says, man, that is not a, that is not a very high-ranking, important position, right? Well, we realize that, and any of, any of you guys, any of you guys ever been a server, waitress, server? Um, you guys realize that is not an easy task, is it? To, to meet the needs of people, to care for them, to hear the complaints, to go back and to make things right for them, right? That's not weakness. It, doesn't, it takes a strong person to serve, right? And Jesus rebukes Peter here. In verse 7, he says, he says to him, his response to Peter when he's like, you can't wash my feet. His response is, but what I am doing, you do not now understand, but afterwards you will. See, often in that moment, uh, in, in our culture especially, we don't understand humility. We don't understand the strength that it takes to serve. And so we view um, service as somehow a weak thing. But we only have to look to the example of Jesus, right? How ultimately he served humanity by dying for our sins. And that becomes the greatest moment of strength for any of us that we've ever seen in human history. Paul records this moment for us in Philippians chapter 2. Most of us probably have, have read this. Some of us probably have even memorized this, this passage before. Here's what Paul says. For you, believers, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is that mind? 
who though he was in the form of God, even though he was God and is God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus knew that he would have to wrap on humanity in order to come. And so he did not, he, he lowered himself, he humbled himself, but he emptied himself, is what Paul says, by taking on the form of a what? A servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This, this moment of serving, right? This moment of Jesus coming and lowering himself down to humanity's level was the ultimate measuring measure mark of strength, right? It's the ultimate picture of strength for us. And so we shouldn't view when I serve other people as if somehow this is a weak thing to do. This is a strong, it takes great effort. It takes great strength in order to humble yourself down and to serve someone else. Okay, so I got one more Richard Foster quote. I'm sorry. Uh, it was so good. Um, and I think this really hits at the heart of where, where we are. Um, he says this. He says, radical self-denial gives the, uh, gives the feel of adventure. Stop right there. Sometimes when we do these huge, what feels like these huge monumental moves and acts for God, there's this sense of adventure. God's calling me to move to another country and to possibly give my life up for the gospel, right? And yes, that's scary, but there's this sense of adventure that comes along with that, right? God calls me to go and to be this and to go move here or to go and to give this away in this very radical move, right? There's this sense of adventure that comes along with this. But... In service, we must experience that many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, and the trivial. See, sometimes when we think about serving, it's not this great adventure. It's not this big thing that we do for God. But sometimes God is calling us to do the mundane, the ordinary, and the trivial. Right? And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's the hardest thing that we can do is to banish ourselves to the mundane, the ordinary, and the trivial. You know, I think about, I think about as, as has been shared many times, there's stories of missionaries um, who feel this call to go to this other country. And for a lot of them, I would imagine there's this, this mindset that I'm going to go to this other country and literally like an entire nation is going to come to know Christ. And we've seen stories in history where that's happened. They move to this other country and then they and then, and then, then thousands of people, this entire country is changed by God bringing this missionary to the country. But I also know that there's many, many other stories of pastors that end up going and giving their lives away, missionaries that go and give their lives away in another country, and we've, they've never been heard of since, Right? Some of them may be making one or two converts for a whole life of ministry. But yet what Jesus says is, great is your reward because, you're, because of the obedience. I think it's the same way with service. I think sometimes serving in our everyday normal lives is a sacrifice. And it's hard, right? Because the idea of going somewhere, doing something big for God, the way we define big for God, is so much more appealing. There's so much more... There's so much more limelight. There's so much more eyes on when you go and do something like that. But yet Jesus says and gives the example, right? Who was in that room when he was washing his disciples' feet? It wasn't thousands of people. 
wasn't even the hundreds of his disciples. It's just the 12 dudes and him, right? It wasn't like Jesus was gaining popularity. But he took down and humbled himself down. Third, I got I to roll. Third is that humility does not play favorites. Humility does not play favorites. It doesn't pick and choose who it serves. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed, this is coming back to Peter, his response to Peter. The one who has been bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Are you clean? But not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Okay, look at verse 11. He knew who would betray him. Who was that? Judas. Judas. How many feet did Jesus wash? Twelve. Is Judas in that group? Think about that. Think about humility, right? Jesus knew the person that was going to betray him, yet Jesus still got on his hands and knees and washed his feet. Why? Because humility doesn't pick and choose favorites. Sometimes God is going to call us to serve people who will never thank us, who will never return the service that we give to them. And in those moments, in those moments, it's really easy to get frustrated and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to serve this person anymore because they're not thankful, because they don't understand. But yet, as I look at Jesus and I say, he could wash the feet of the man who's going to betray him, I can certainly, certainly serve those who may never say thank you to me. (laughs) It said this way, if Jesus were only human, he would have probably been tempted to use boiling water to wash Peter's feet and ice cold water to wash Judas's feet. But yeah, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't come to scold or to shun. He came to serve gently and humbly. Right? Humility is hard, but service is one of those practices that can move our hearts in better alignment with humility. Right? So let's take a second. Okay, uh, I know I've talked for a few minutes, so let me give you guys some time to talk real quick. Um, what makes humility hard to live out consistently, right? I know for a lot of us, for, for many of us, it's really easy to, to do a humble act every once in a while. But what is the greatest challenge <coughs> with living humbly on a consistent basis? To have a lifestyle of humility. What's, what's the greatest challenge for you personally in that and then we'll we'll wrap up okay so let's take a couple minutes talk about that so again humility is not hard and i know one of the objections right i want to make sure that i cover this because i think that for there's 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 several of us that think this way right the one of our main objections to serving is this if i lower myself to serve someone will take advantage of me i'm gonna get taken advantage of right And I think in this moment, what's really helpful for us to do is to realize that we're choosing, right? There's a choice. We're either choosing, right? There's two things that we can can do as we look at serving. One, we can choose to serve, or two, we can choose to be a servant. And these are very different in their outcomes, okay? When we choose to serve, we're ultimately saying that I'm in charge, and I'm deciding when and how I serve. And so with that, we worry that people are going to take advantage of us because, again, we're the focus, right? 
this, this, this for me is, goes back to the, a lot of the, the ways that I think I just naturally think about serving is I think, okay, projects and things I'm going to do for people, right? And in that moment, then I can decide, do I do that or not, right? I come into a, a situation where I serve somebody and I don't like how they respond, right? I don't, they, they don't appreciate the way I respond. They're, they're hostile toward that. Then I can decide in that moment that I'm not going to serve them anymore, right? I can kind of count them out because I'm just choosing to serve. But the choice of being a servant is very different. When I choose to be a servant, I give up the right to be in charge or decide how to, how to be treated. For me, it, there, there creates this freedom if I voluntarily choose to be taken advantage of. You see, you cannot be manipulated because you've already surrendered that right. We become vulnerable and available. And that's a hard place to get to, right? That's a hard perspective to get to. But I think it's the perspective that, that the New Testament and that the followers of Jesus should be moving toward. Paul, if you think about Paul, the life of Paul, Paul boasted of his slavery or his servantship to Jesus, right? He used the first century term, he called himself a love slave, right? And it's this idea that I'm choosing to be a servant, that I'm choosing to freely love and to remain a servant. And that's what Paul did. That's what Paul boasted about, was that he was going to serve. And so in those moments when we're serving people, and they take advantage of us serving them, it's no longer a question of do I continue to serve them, but you realize that I've given up, I've voluntarily surrendered that right to be a servant. Like that's the example of what Jesus did. Like he gave up his rights when he came to this earth. He surrendered his rights when he came to be our sacrifice, right? Listen, uh, listen to how the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9.19. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He realizes that he had great freedom, but yet he's choosing to be a servant. I'm making myself a servant so that some may win for Christ. And again, it's, this is a hard place to get to. This isn't something that you're going to say, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and just be a, I'm going to be a servant. And I'm never going to struggle or get frustrated when someone takes advantage of my kindness or my generosity. But like every practice we've talked about, this is something that we grow into, that we take steps into, that we start moving toward. And so the way that we do that is by practicing this. By practicing this. And ultimately, we've said it already before, but why do we serve? We serve others because Jesus first served us. Right? That's the reason why. If you need motivation of why we serve other people, it's because Jesus did it for us first. And so our natural our only response to that should be to serve other people. Listen to how this, this story um, ends in, in John Chapter 13. And so when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you a what? Example 
an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Right? That's our example. The one that we follow. The lion of the tribe of Judah is also the slain lamb that came to give his life up in service for humanity. The same one that we get the picture in Revelation that's going to come riding in on a white horse in victory one day is also the one that in Mark 10, 45 says this, For even the Son of Man came to came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And if that's our example, if that's the one that we are following, if he is the one that we are putting our hope, stock, and everything into, then as his followers, we too must serve other people. So I've got five minutes to try to cover the practical aspects of how we can do this. Okay, so we're going to roll through these. I would encourage you to write them down, or if you have the Bible app, they're on there. Uh, you can save the service for today, and those are on there. Okay, so we're going to roll through these, write these down. These are great discussion points for life group, um, for that time in life group. At 1.30 if you're in the Kaziki life group. Um, just put a little note in there. Here we go. Ways to serve. Number one is to serve within the, the body, within the Christian community, right? There are those within the church body that God has called us to serve. Their needs. Paul says in Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek how to show hospitality. Are there needs within our church body that we can be a part of, that we can graciously serve? never asking to be repaid for. So some of the questions we might, we might ask is, who do I know in my life group that has a need that I can serve? And then for us personally, what needs do we have that we can open up, right, in humility and share and allow the body to serve us in? Serve the Christian community. Number two, serve by showing common courtesy. I can't tell you how much this idea of common courtesy is forgotten in our culture how much of a service it is to people to just be courteous and to be kind and to honor people, not for what they bring to you, but because they are made in the image of God. Paul in his letter to Titus says this in chapter 3, verse uh, 1 and 2. He says, uh, Remind them to be submissive to the rulers and the authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward Christians. To show perfect courtesy to those that are nice to us? To all people. Even people that we don't understand. Even people who have a different background and understanding and cultural background than we do. That we still show courtesy. Romans 12 uh, verse 10. Paul describing what we should look like as the church. As individual followers. He says love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what a community of people would look like? If instead of thinking about how I get myself to the top of the list, I can just try to show honor to other people within the body. You think about how different, if my goal wasn't to, for me to get ahead, but actually to honor other people, right? I picture Paul saying, like, make a game of it almost, right? See who can show the most honor within the church community. And so we need to look for ways to do that. One of the areas I realize that this is a big struggle for me in my life is in the area of sarcasm. 
right? As, as any of you that have known me for many years or any amount of time, um, I just, I don't, don't want to say it's by nature, um, but I'm a very sarcastic person. Um, and, and I really struggle. And here's where I struggle, though, right? At the end of the day, when I'm being sarcastic, when somebody says something to me and I make a sarcastic response to them, right? Who's at the center of that, of that response? Is it building up that other person? It's tearing down that other person so I can make myself look better. So I want to show honor to other people. I'm going to have to lay aside some of these things, some of these things that I enjoy greatly um, in, in way of showing honor to other people and the caring for people. So here's a few questions we may ask. How do my words affect those around me? Are there phrases, are there things that I say, is there a way that I talk to people around me that puts them down? In service and humility, can I lay that aside to build them up? And then, who can I build up? How can I build other people up? Number three is to serve by hospitality. And this is really just opening our homes and our lives to other people. Right? Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Did you catch that last part? I think a lot of us sometimes will open our homes and lives to people. But then we complain about it. Those messy people, do you see what they did to my house? They messed all of my pillows up. I'm sorry, that was personal. Um, right? We, 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 we really struggle sometimes. Um, one, to open our homes and lives up. That's a whole other conversation about how our culture is so closed in and self-focused. Right? But then when I do open my heart and my life, then I'm not going to grumble and complain about it. Right? Back in the day, there used to be these things called guest houses. People, when they built their house, they would build another house in order for when other people were in town that they could show hospitality and have them in. And so there really was no picture of motels and hotels because when people that you knew came to see you, they either came and stayed at your house or they stayed in your guest house. But today we've created, I think it's just a picture of our culture, these motels and these hotels that says, hey, come visit me, but not too close. I don't want to open up my heart, my home, my, my family to you. And so you stay right down the street and then we can kind of casually hang out. But true hospitality is bringing people into our lives. See, we often limit our service because it makes life too complicated, right? Opening our home uh, to others brings in a lot of other things. And we, and, we, and we sometimes we think that it's too complicated, but it's really not, right? I think a great question to ask in this, in this realm is, what am I already doing that someone else can come and be a part of, Right? So one thing we realized in our family is that as a family, we need to eat. Typically, we try to do that three times a day. doesn't always happen, right? But typically, at dinner time, we eat a meal together. And so it doesn't take a great uh, amount of effort to invite other people to come and do something we were already going to be doing. It's a really easy way to do that, right? Um, let me just brag on some of our moms in the room. Um, one of the things that they have done so beautifully and so well, they, they've just pictured Christ and community in, is that they've just been so wonderful in inviting people to come. When they were going to go out and do a, a play date or a mommy date or whatever it is that mommies do out, um, I don't survive, I guess, uh, is the best way to put it, right? Um, but here's what you'll notice, right? If you go to a certain park at a certain day, a certain time, you'll see a group of bedrock moms that are gathering together with their kids. Why? Because of hospitality. Here's, here's the cool picture is that there's been some ladies that have been outside of our church community that have actually been brought into our church community because they were hospitable. And they met them at a park, and they had a conversation, and invited them to come and hang out and do something they were already doing. And they used that as an avenue to encourage and invest other people. So hospitality. Number three, man, I wish I had more time. Uh, serve by listening. Serve by listening. We don't always have to answer 
the questions. Sometimes people just want us to listen. Sometimes the service is for us to sit with our mouths closed and just to listen to other people's needs. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. He says, just as love, um, just as love to God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. So who do you know in your life that you can be a listening ear for? Question I ask myself, how can I stop talk, talking sometimes just to be able to listen? Some people just want an ear to listen. Uh, as a guy, I can say that this is a struggle. I don't know how the, how the female brain works in this way, but, but the male brain works this way. There's a problem, I need to fix it. Right, guys? There's a problem, I need to come up with a way to fix it. Sometimes what we learn, what we learn in marriage, what we learn in life, sometimes that people don't want to be fixed. They just want someone to listen to them. And so sometimes we just got to learn how to just listen and care for people. Uh, number next, I've lost, lost my point. Number five, okay? <laughs> Serve by bearing one another's burdens. Love is perfected when we can bear the hurts and the sufferings of one another. Paul says in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's how significant it is that we can carry one another's burdens. Let me just give one caveat for this. The goal for us in our lives should be able to carry one another's burdens without allowing their burdens to destroy us. Right? There are some incredibly tender-hearted people in this world. And sometimes carrying other people's burdens can actually cause burden on us. And so the goal as we work on this practice is to be able to carry some, someone else's burdens, but don't allow their burdens to crush us. Right? Because think about it. If we allow their burdens and we carry them so much that they crush us, can we still carry that burden for that person? No. So we have to learn how to carry their burdens and be there with them and walk with them, but at the same point not allowing that to then destroy us. So questions here is like, who do I know that's going through a hard time and what can I do to help? Maybe it's just a listening ear. Maybe it's, it's, it's I'm going to go bring them a meal so they don't have to think about that. Maybe it's something else I can do to help them. And then finally... Finally, I wish I had more time. Oh, man, I'm late. Okay, I wish I had more time. Uh, serving in the community, right? Serving in the community, finding ways to show the love of God to our community that is far from him, right? And this can happen in many, many different ways. I just want to list, a, I have a few of these listed. These are just a, a, a scratch the surface of the ways that we could do. Here's some things that as a church that we said, you know what? We not only want to model this individually, but as a church, we want to model service as well. So here's some ways that we are going to serve our community. Uh, the Agape Center. Anytime uh, you can go and serve and help out there, there's needs from helping in the, in the, in the clothes, to the food, uh, to just to mentoring people. Anytime you can go and serve that, you can go serve that together, right? We have our opportunity in the nursing home and in Mulch Madness. Um, and I just want to take a second that I don't have, but I'm going to use it anyway, to say, um, so uh, initially, Mulch Madness was on the 20th, right? And um, something happened with the mulch distributors, and they ended up having to move the date, and so Young Life kind of got stuck in this rock and hard space and had to move this. And I got a little frustrated, because I was like, but this is our serving thing. We're going to serve here, and this is we, we've had this plan, and they're just going to have to move their stuff, right? We've had this plan on the calendar longer. And then God just kind of hit me with his reality that, you know what, serving is not just about you and your thing. It's also about, it's a God thing and what he's doing. And now as I look at this, as Sam said this morning, it's this beautiful opportunity we have as a church to go and to serve the community in two different aspects. And so for some of us, 
We're going to go to a nursing home and we're going to hang out with some elderly people who there's a good chance that no one has probably been to see them in weeks for many of them. That's been our story over the years. We get to hang out with some of these people. And we're going to get to love on them, okay? And if you like sleeping in, this one starts a little bit later, so maybe this is your service. I'm just kidding. Um, We're going to go and love on some people in the community. In the same way, we have a group of teenagers that need to hear the gospel, and Young Life is doing an incredible work in this community to share the gospel. And one of the ways they do that is by sending these kids to a camp in the summer. And so when we go and we help raise money for them to do that, we're enabling these kids to go and hear about Jesus. Uh, a couple other things. Serve week. In August, we're going to take a week. It's actually be a weekend. We're going to take a weekend, and we're going to serve the community. Um, I had somebody ask me the question this week. They said, what is the closest comparison we have today to washing feet? Like, what would be the closest cultural comparison we have? And I thought about it for a second. I said, well, you know, the first year that we did serving projects, Mom, you remember this. First year we went and did serving projects, right? We went around to neighborhood businesses, and we asked them if we could clean their toilets. Some of you guys remember, some of you guys are not nodding your heads, you remember this, right? That's a pretty close comparison if you think about it, right? You think about the cultural picture of what it was for someone, for Jesus to wash his disciples' feet and how demenial that is, and then for us to think about going around and just serving, right? Well, not because we love cleaning toilets, but because we love our community, and we want to show the love of Jesus to them, right? We have the Autumn Fest coming in October, we have our Thanksgiving meal, um, we have lots of other things uh, coming up that we can serve in. But there are plenty of opportunities for us to serve together, for us to serve individually. Here's where I want us to conclude today, um, which I should have done 10 minutes ago. Here's where we're going to conclude, right? At the end of Jesus getting up and washing his disciples' feet, right? At the end of this moment, as he gets down, right? The Savior of the world gets down on his knee and he washes his disciples' feet, right? He picks up the towel. And he hands us the towel. And he says, now, as my followers, what are you going to do with this towel? Right? Where are you going to serve? Who are the people that God is going to call you to humble yourself down and to serve? Right? We don't need to make a list. We don't need to make, we don't make it this bigger thing. But who is God going to call you to serve? And so here's our practice this week. Each day, I would challenge you this week to start by praying something like this. Lord Jesus, as it would please you, bring someone to me today that I can serve. And I truly believe if we ask God to bring people to us that we can serve, that he's going to do it. Right? But then here's the second part of that. Right? As he reveals those opportunities, do it. Don't allow the excuses, don't allow the pride, don't allow all those other things to get in the way. But as God brings people and opportunities into your life, that you would do that. Maybe it's somebody within the church body. Maybe it's just the opportunity to respond in kindness and care for people. Maybe it's showing hospitality. Maybe it's listening. Maybe it's bearing burdens of other people. Maybe it's something to do for the community. Or maybe it's something that's not even on this list that God's going to bring to you. But would we, in humility, take that towel that Jesus used to wipe those disciples' feet and then take that and start to serve those around us? So as we close today, uh, Tom and Letitia are going to come and lead us in one last song. (coughs) And as they do that, I want us to prepare our hearts and our minds, right? This, This time in our service we call is a response time. It's not just the sing the last song time. It's a response time. And it's a time for us to respond to what we've heard and what we thought about from the word of God.
And so for each one of us, what is your response going to be today? And I would encourage you during this time as we sing this song, right? The song they picked out is all about serving. Call me to go. Send me, Lord, to where you want me to go, right? I would ask you, is that your heart in this moment? Am I willing and ready to go to the places that you're going to call me to go and serve the people you're going to call me to be, to call me to serve, no matter who they are or where they're from? And so if that is your heartbeat today, if that is your, if that's, if that is where God, if his spirit has moved your heart this morning, as you sing that, those words out to this last song, I would just encourage you to sing those out as a confirmation of that response to him, as a confirmation that I'm willing to go, Lord, and I'm going to go and I'm going to serve whoever, wherever you call me to serve. So let us, uh, let's pray. So Father, we thank you for the time we've had this morning, we thank you for the opportunities we've had to serve, um, to hear about serving, to learn about serving. God, I pray for the opportunities even this week, God, of serving. God, I think about next week as we come together and we get the opportunity to circle up and talk about how our practice went. God, I am, I am anticipating conversations of saying, God brought this person to my heart. God brought this person to my mind and here's what I was able to do to serve them. Here's how he allowed me to serve people in my life and people around me. And God, I pray for all of that, all that we do, all that we say. God, may you receive the glory for it. God, in our lives and the lives of our church around us. God, we love you. Thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.